Now I invite you to pray with me and to pray for me. Lord God, take my words this morning and speak through them. Take our hearts this morning and speak to them. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. And we invite you to bring conviction to our hearts through the living word. That you will initiate healing and transformation in our lives. And we pray this all for the glory of your great name, Lord Jesus. Amen. This past week, I was in New York City celebrating Virginia's high school graduation. Yes. It's our last one. We hiked and biked all around the city. And one of our stops was the September 11th Memorial. It was my first time there, and if you've never been there, I encourage you to go. It was a profoundly emotional experience for me, as I remembered, in that place. One of the memories that I recalled while I was walking through the exhibit was the testimony of an Anglican priest that I knew when I lived in Pittsburgh, who ended up living close by the trade centers on that morning. And he was present for much of the search and the rescue efforts. He wrote a testimony of what he did. When he showed up in his collar, the workers led him up onto the pile and took him around. He provided emotional support for the first responders, praying blessings over the workers and praying blessings over the remains. And in the historical Christian tradition dating back to the first century, he prayed blessings over the workers and over the remains in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. That distinguishes our faith from every other religion. The doctrine of the Trinity isn't specifically named in the Bible as such. And yet the church calendar marks the Sunday after Pentecost this Sunday as Trinity Sunday. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, and yet we have a Sunday devoted to it. What is so important about the Trinity that it gets its own Sunday? Well, church, I'm glad you asked. The technical term Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, but... The doctrine is there. The truth is there. Around the year 200, Tertullian was the first to use the term Trinity to describe God as he sought to defend Christian theology. That was only 170 years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. The Trinity was clearly a part of the Apostles' Creed. As it's broken into three parts, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's been defended, the doctrine of the Trinity, by the church. It's been defended from heretical teachings by the Nicene Creed, which also had three parts, but got a little more in depth. And then the Athanasian Creed, which focused expressly on defending the Trinity. Take your bulletin and turn to the last page. The last two pages, 16 and 17, there you have the Athanasian Creed printed for you. It's in our prayer books, but this is printed in a little more modern language. 
As you can see, it's not short. It takes about an hour to read together. And we're not going to read it all together. But I printed it here for you to take a look at. But I wanted you to see parts of it. It declares at the beginning of the second paragraph that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. This is an, an unpacking of the Trinity in creedal form. Skip to the next paragraph. And let's read, we're going to read parts of this together. What quality, read with me, what quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated. The Son is uncreated. The Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable. The Son is immeasurable. The Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal. The Son is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. We'll stop there. You can see how this creed is making it clear there are three members of the Trinity, and they're not the same. Skipping to the last paragraph at the bottom of that column, let's read together. Similarly, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet there are not three almighty beings, but there is one almighty being. Continuing at the top of the next column, thus, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, there is but one God. Thus, the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three lords, there is but one Lord. We're going to stop there. I wanted to whet your appetite. I printed it here so you could take it with you. If you have a prayer book, again, it's in the back. But spend some time with the Athanasian Creed this week. The Trinity was explained in the early 400s by St. Augustine, or as we Floridians refer to him as St. Augustine. He wrote a tome of 400 plus pages on the Trinity. You can see how long the Athanasian Creed is, unpacking the Trinity. And I'm going to use approximately the next 14 minutes to completely unpack the mystery of the Trinity for you this morning. I was expecting an amen there. Trinity, three in oneness. It's a human term seeking to express an unknowable an inconceivable reality that's beyond our human comprehension. Even though St. Augustine wrote 400 plus pages on the Trinity, he remained convinced that it was a mystery that we humans cannot fully understand in our humanity. The truth is that just about everything that matters in Christianity hangs on the truth of God's three in oneness. In the Trinity, we find the gospel. God the Father, he created male and female. We created us in his image. He is the one that is offended by sin. 
that we're separated from. He stands in judgment. Now, only God can forgive sins. So only if Jesus is God, can he deal with our sins. And if Jesus can deal with our sins, then therefore he must be God. The Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus to be God's presence with us. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. If the Holy Spirit is not God, then he's not Jesus's presence, God's presence with us. And the Holy Spirit fills us with power from heaven, while at the same time teaching us and reminding us of all that Jesus said. That's a long form of the gospel in the Trinity. Here's a Trinitarian conceptualization that I want you to know. We're going to say it a couple times together through the sermon, and I want you to take it with you. I'm not giving it to you as a slide, so you might want to write it down or just try to remember it. The same God who created you is the God who redeemed you and the God who is with you. Say that with me. The same God who created you has redeemed you and is now with you. Doesn't that inspire hope that it's one God through all of it? The scripture readings from Trinity Sunday reveal the Trinitarian reality of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Turn to our first reading, which was Genesis 1. Bill Half thanked me for that short reading. And I said it's in the lectionary. And it's there because it's the poetic Hebrew accounting of God's creative activity, God's creation. Within that poetic Hebrew account, you have a couple things. We could just spend all of our time there, but the first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Seven Hebrew words. Seven meaning perfection. Seven days. Seven times it says, and it was good or very good. There's so much creativity and it's it's just incredible when you when you look at the hebrew and when you read that now the jews were different from every other nation with their creation account and in their worship of one god and their monotheism deuteronomy 6 verse 4 is called the shema i thought someone would come up with that hero israel the lord your god the lord is one And yet, in these first three verses of Genesis chapter 1, the Trinitarian essence of God is revealed. Take a look. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's God the Father. Verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There you have the Holy Spirit. And in the third verse, we have Jesus, God the Son. Now, you might be wondering where. Well, what does the beginning of John's gospel tell us? In the beginning was the... 
And the word was with God and the word was God. God. God's word is Jesus. He's the living word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So in verse three, and God spoke and God said, let there be light. And there you have the son. All three members right there at the beginning. Turning to the gospel. We're going to do them in sequence. Matthew 28. In that chapter, Matthew narrates the resurrection, recording Jesus' final moments with his disciples before his ascension. In verse 18, Jesus reminds them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He was God. All of God's authority has been given to him. And then verse 19, he commands them to go and make disciples of all nations. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word, therefore, name in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, name invokes everything that that name implies. Title, all attributes, all majesty, all power, all character. Jesus doesn't command them to baptize in his name. Or in the name of Adonai, the Lord. But Jesus commands them to baptize in the three names of the three members of the Trinity. And this baptismal formula is carried on from Jesus' lips into Orthodox Christian worship, including our worship as Anglicans. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As early as the year 200, again... It was noted by Tertullian that Christians wore the sign of the cross on their foreheads because of their baptism. The sign of the cross at their baptism became the sign of the cross during worship. Each name recalling the divine character of each member in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We now move to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We could spend months talking about the Trinity here. My time is limited. In the first and second letters to Corinth, Paul's writing to the church there, the early church in Corinth. And it was a church that was struggling with sensuality. It was struggling with sin. It was struggling with false teaching. It's not unlike Christian faith today. This is the ending of Paul's letter. Verse 11, he calls the church to rejoice. Take a look. Rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. And live in peace. And if they do these things, Paul writes, if you do these things, the God of love and peace will be with you. How is God with us? Jesus promised by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 14, Paul closes with a blessing over them. He blesses them to live out and experience the riches of verse 11. 
He blesses them to live that way. And he blesses them in a way you would not expect Paul, a Jew, to bless them. Because remember, Paul wasn't just a Jew. He was a teacher of the law, a Pharisee. He, more than anyone, would hold fast to the Shema. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Monotheism would have been crucially important. And yet, he doesn't pronounce a Jewish blessing on them in the name of the Lord or of Adonai. He uses a powerful Trinitarian blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus. Let's read that together. Verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Here in this Trinitarian blessing, we see the gospel. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, by virtue of his death and resurrection, that you're invited to receive what you don't deserve. Forgiveness of sin. Eternal life in his name. And the grace of Jesus Christ flows directly from the love of God. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And the grace of Jesus Christ flowing from the love of God initiates the fellowship or the communion, community. The word is koinonia. The fellowship, the community of the Holy Spirit who indwells and empowers all who have faith in Jesus. So in the Trinity, you see the gospel. And through the Trinity, you proclaim the gospel. The same God who created you, has redeemed you, and is with you. Say that with me again. The same God who created you, has redeemed you, and is now with you. Heresies throughout the ages have rejected the triune nature of Almighty God. They've rejected the Trinity. And modern religions follow suit. Why don't we have fellowship with Jehovah's Witnesses? Because they reject the Trinity. What the creed of Athanasius declares, they do not hold to. The Mormons reject the Trinity. In the Trinity, we have the gospel. And through the Trinity, we proclaim the gospel. And I acknowledge we're just skimming the surface here. We could talk for hours, but my time is up. Amen? I encourage you this week to take your bulletin. Reflect on the two creeds. You have the Nicene Creed and now you have the Athanasian Creed. Also reflect on the scriptures. That's your homework. Ask God to give you a new and a fresh understanding of his Trinitarian nature and of the gospel proclaimed through the Trinity. And rehearse our explanation of the Trinity. Let's say it together. The same God who created you has redeemed you and is now with you.
reflection on the Trinity, on the three divine names, Father, Son, and Spirit, is bound to lead you into worship. There's no coincidence that Trinity Sunday begins with Psalm 150, which is a psalm of praise. And now we close our worship in our sermon time by continuing our worship. And we're going to sing a hymn, two verses of a hymn, a cappella, don't be afraid, a hymn that was written for Trinity Sunday. Oh, stand, please stand. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.